You ever been walking through the Navy Exchange and wonder why all the Naval Pride and Heritage gear is horrifically ugly and you wouldn't actually wear it? Have you ever wanted some really cool gear and you just don't know where to go? Well, I got you, fam. Go to dgutsapparel.com immediately. Get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, we're working on new designs all the time, open to ideas. We're trying to create a brand that uh, lets you display that pride, but doesn't make you cringe. Uh, also, if you're willing to and you're able to, please go to patreon.com slash podcast, pick one of the five tiers and become a patron today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Come Up the Ship Podcast. This is episode 135, I think. I really should check before I start recording. I'm, I'm, I was kind of going back and forth about even making this an episode or a spin the yarn just based on what, like, kind of what I'm going to talk about and how I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to adjust my thing a little bit. I don't know if that even did anything. Um, because I, I think this is going to be long. I typed up a little outline, but it's just me uh, talking about a thing that uh, Ariana brought it up. But it it's again, it's like <laughs> these are that like I have these like background processes running at all times. And this is kind of one of those things. And it was just to hear a, a brand new chief bring it up in this way, um, just like made it click in, in the way that I'm going to talk about it. And I think it's a really great way to approach it specifically for chiefs in the Navy. And, and it'll provide a lot of really meaningful context to junior enlisted people and officers as well. So like if, if I, I know I can get, um, I can get a little niche with some of the chief stuff, uh, sometimes, but this one I think is going to be very useful knowledge for everyone. So if you usually kind of tune out or, or don't listen to these episodes where I'm talking about chief stuff, um, this might be one you want to stick around for because I think it's it's going to be very applicable to everyone, even though um, I'm going to be addressing a, a, a bit of a chief problem. Even, uh, but again, the tendrils kind of go out into everything. So um, and basically the the question uh, and, and it's I hesitate to even call it that because it's it's one of those questions that means so much more than you get from the, the literal interpretation of it, which is, uh, what is a good chief? Like what makes a good chief? Uh, and again, this sounds like a really elementary question, um, until you're, you're existing in it. And basically, um, so some Ariana brought it up to me, but, but someone brought up a scenario as well. And it was basically like the push and pull of being a, a new chief. Um, and so this person brought up like uh, essentially like they're they're in a, in their primary duty. Right. Uh, they interact with their CO. They interact with their CMC. They interact with uh, their XO. You know, they interact with lots of people. Right. This become and, and that becomes much more common and increases in frequency the smaller the command and community you're you're at and in right so like submariners like i interacted with my co cmc and xo every single day you know like to varying degrees and and varying frequencies depending on what was going on but like i interacted with them every day at least once and even if it was just superficial like hey sir how you doing um but on surface ships, like on, on an aircraft carrier, that's probably not going to happen. You're going to interact with varying levels of this. But like you can kind of fill in the blank and for whatever your scenario is. 
Um, because when I'm saying CO, XO, CMC, that could just be department head, department LCPO or, or, or whatever, right? Like some of these CTs work with a bunch of civilians and shit, like just fill in the blank it, it, for whatever scenario it works best for. But the, the question basically was an internal dialogue of like, w- what is a good chief? Because what the, the person asking like believes is a good chief is going to be different from what your CO is asking is a good chief or set telling you is a good chief, what the Navy's telling you is a good chief, what your eval is telling you is a good chief, what other people, you know what I mean? Like what your junior sailors are, are communicating to you either directly or indirectly what a good chief is, right? So it's, it's a lot more complicated than it, than it appears on the surface. Um, and so I want to start with the question and kind of run through what the, some, enti- some of those entities' answers would be, right? Like, and I'm not going to know all of those, obviously, because everybody's CO and XO and whoever the hell else we're filling in that blank is everybody's going to have a slightly different interpretation, right? But the Navy's definition it is the closest you can really get to the Navy's definition is going to be the the policy documents right um so like your ecp your eval and along with your evals the mission vision guiding principles um which have been updated by this micpon i don't know i know there's a new eval system the new nafit or whatever i don't know if they've updated the chief eval to reflect uh these traits or not i would imagine they have but uh these are they at least appear to be slightly different uh i'm i'm like 99% 99% sure they're slightly different um, than when I was in the military. Um, but because I don't remember a technical expertise, I feel like either it has technical mastery, institutional expertise, professionalism, integrity, accountability, decorate leadership and team effectiveness. Like I know heritage used to be on here. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's some slight changes, but regardless, um, I don't know if they've updated the eval. It's not really material to the conversation, but um it's this is the best document uh, I think we'll we're gonna have any now or in the future, in, in the near future anyway. I hope they come out with more of an explanation, policy documents and stuff, but just a better creed, all those kinds of things, just to like help make help codify what what who we are and what we do, and to communicate to these people who are asking these questions and experiences experiencing this turmoil about this question. I mean, the, the only place you can go to and get anything close to an answer is the mission vision guiding principles um but but again like so if you're not familiar right which all you chiefs damn sure should be but if you're not go find it immediately um but the uh junior sailors officers stuff like that if you're not familiar with it go check it out um it'll give you a little bit of insight to how we are measured i'm not going to say this is the answer to to what what's a good chief right um i'm going to come to that later and to the shock of absolutely no one it's a long version of it depends um sort of but like it's complicated but uh the uh it talks about those those what is it three four five six seven things um and it has it within like broader categories of competency character and connections which were the memos that the mcpon put out so i guess this is a slight elaboration on those memos that were fucking hot garbage but here we are 
Um, so it talks about the mission being uh, delivering combat credible naval forces by providing leadership to our naval warriors and advice and counsel to senior leadership, meaning officers, right? Uh, pretty much. I mean, more, more senior enlisted leadership and officers. Uh, senior enlisted leaders who develop naval warriors needed to, this is the vision part. So that was the mission. The first sentence vision is senior enlisted leaders who develop naval warriors need to build tough, resilient, and effective combat teams to fight and win, cultivate a culture of excellence rooted in trust, respect, and transparency, continually assess themselves, their teams and teammates drive towards the best possible outcome while staying aligned to leadership and connected with sailors con conduct themselves in a consistently professional, ethical, and traditional manner. <sighs> I'm not going to dissect those right now. Maybe in a future episode I'll do that, but um, they're too vague. Even like for, for the purpose of this document, they're not too vague, but they're too vague in that there's no elaboration beyond this point anywhere, really. Like we're teaching to the creed, which is fucking insane because that is it, like that's hot garbage and it's not focused and and deliberate and providing like goalposts like a document like this is we should be teaching to this and then that would be that curriculum would be the elaboration and of and the embedding of these values and and understandings into chiefs to make them a reflection of our mission vision and guiding principles but instead we teach to the creed which is this fucking word salad gray area amorphous bag of dicks that we think is a fucking policy document that explains who we are and what we do i'm i'm gonna bleep out that one word but good god it just pisses me off um but anyway so you've got this pretty great starting point that we historically and may currently use for chief evals uh i should have looked that up but maybe i will really quick but um but yeah, it's like the, uh, let's see if I can pull this up really quick. I'm just curious as I'm doing this, if they have updated it um, to reflect the McPon's new, I'm, I'm guessing they haven't just because of why would they? Because that would be, you know what I mean? I don't know. I'm just expecting it not to be updated. Oh, it looks like it is. Nope, Sense of Heritage is still there. So I just pulled the I just pulled the chief eval off of uh, let's see if I can switch to screen sharing in the video without s catastrophically screwing up everything. Okay, there we go. So if you can, I got to move it over. <laughs> if you can see it, I pulled this up. Let's see, I pulled it up on my Navy HR, uh, and at the bottom here, it's got a uh, sense of heritage still. So it's like, these are not reflect, these don't reflect what's on the uh, um, Mick Pons thing. And I just want to show you like, here's the web address, my Navy HR form section. Maybe the, I mean, it's very possible the, uh, um, sorry, let me switch back to my uh, camera. Okay, so hopefully that's not like too, chaotic and shitty i can fix it in editing i guess but um the form and this is the fillable pdf form this is not whatever appears in the new nav fit if it even works which i've heard it doesn't and i have no way of accessing it so hit me up like sh hit me in the comments or, so or something or message me I i'd be curious to know if they've updated it in the new nav fit to reflect that but traditionally the trait blocks on that eval are the mission vision guiding principles things like the values or whatever the principles i guess is <laughs> that's left the literal name 
Um, for some reason, I wasn't saying it. But yeah, it's it, they're not bad. And I'm not going to read every single one of them. Just go check them out. You can find them on... Uh, the they're on the Mick Pond's leadership page when you go to like his exclusive files or you can just Google mission vision guiding principles and it's the one with competency uh, character and connections to the left of it and it's even this file name is Mick Pond 16 which is the current Mick Pond so anyway um, that's the one that I'm looking at and it's like <sighs> they're good like it's a good definition of what chiefs are right like it, it's Again, it's one of those things like I'd have to spend a bunch of time like thinking about it and really studying it and and deciding if something glaring is missing and if it would need an update. But it gets tweaked now and then. Right. Like this is a new update uh, with the current McPon. And so it would be nice if a document like this was used to guide like to as a foundation for the curriculum that we use to teach chiefs how to be chiefs. It's the only formal training that a chief gets really i mean there could be some like uh, formal trainings that are local to the command or the community or whatever but the only like navy-wide mandated formal training that a chief gets when they are selected to chief and then before pinning is the teaching the creed stuff um and i guess they're doing there is some other one it's like uh I think there is another one now, but it's not teaching mission mission guiding principles, so it's kind of a moot point, but whatever. My point is that they're not teaching this, right? And so if we're gonna if we're gonna create a document, um, and I don't want to belabor this point too much because I've talked about this a ton before, so I guess I'm I've probably already done that, and so I'm gonna move on. But the uh, the mission vision guiding principles are great. It's it's the book definition if there is one on what a, a good chief is like this is what you're s striving to achieve and you can even there's a little more clarification when you read the eval there's there's the individual block of technical mastery right and then here there's like a two sentence blurb on what it means but on the eval for each trait measurement like 1.0 2.0 3.0 blah 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 it provides a little more uh like detail on if we're measuring you at a 5.0 here's the things you you would need to be doing that would need to be observed um that's that's about as good as you're gonna get if you're looking for like a book definition of like what's a good chief right then and that's a fucking crying ass shame that that's as really as far as we can get the creed it doesn't tell you anything i mean it alludes to some stuff that's good it alludes to a bunch of other stuff that's not so good and the rest of it's just kind of whatever um and then what else do you go to? Like, like point me in a direction. Like the Chief Petty Officer's Handbook. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I don't think they're bad. I don't think it's a it's a source document that is going to provide you with what you need to be a good chief. Kind of like what you're, because again, like what does that mean, right? And, and that's where it gets it gets more and more. Uh, ambiguous as you go down this list of definitions that I have. So then you have like you have the Navy's definition, right? Because you would think that there's a part of me that even wants to say that this would be the chief's mess definition. If you went in and asked your CMC, what's the definition of a good chief? They would probably pull out a policy uh, like a document like this. I, I would hope um, and kind of teach you about some of that stuff. But maybe not i don't know and that's because the definition is so subjective because we do a really shitty job of building 
those values and and that like those principles and the the mission and vision into our chiefs but sorry that thumping in the background is my german shepherd itching she has skin issues um so then chief's mess definition would be what right like what's a good chief well there's all this there's all this complex subjective um (laughs) if it fits anywhere it fits into the things that don't appear in printer file or whatever the fuck it says um it there's a lot of things within the the chief's mess that are like what make up this the subculture that nobody really knows about or understands until they've been in the mess for a little while because like you don't even understand it when you finish the chief season to get pinned it's not like the secret decoder ring clears everything up for you and i'm just gonna let you just figure out if there's really a secret decoder ring or not but i digress the there's a lot of stuff that you spend your first year or two just figuring out like how to navigate the hierarchy that is the chief's mess what are like the power dynamics what are the um like how do i get things done how do i best advocate for my people what are the things i need to do to be in good standing in this organization blah 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 right so within that very complex hierarchical subculture that is the chief's mess what does it mean to be a good chief it's a great fucking question um I can tell you some of the things involve having a position in the CPOA, um, doing coins and shit, uh, and shirts and stickers, and uh, like getting zone inspections done while you're underway, uh, doing selling, like doing fundraisers, um, running the chief season, Sailor 360. Um, <laughs> Let's see what else. God, um, I mean, submarines are very qualification centric, so you have to be qualified a thing, uh, and that like that qualification and some collateral duties can determine your kind of like your place in the pecking order. Uh, on submarines, your rate has something to do with it. Not always. Like I was, I was the very clear number two for a long time in in my last underway mess, and I wasn't like the only uh like strong senior chief in the mess the whole time i was there but for the majority of the time i was there i was i was like the strong like the most senior and strongest voice in the chief's mess not that wasn't wearing a cookie to work right and and i i say that where i'm kind of like a little hesitant because there were other senior chiefs that were such beasts and like some of them were there for part of the time and then they left and then another guy came in and he was a beast and you know like so there was definitely other strong personalities that had a lot of influence so i don't i don't want it to make it sound like i was like that guy and there was no one else but um but all those things can factor in right um and some of that depends on who your SEL is, right? So like whoever's filling that role, whatever that role happens to be in your community or command, it's like that person and what they think is important plays a large role in in that the answer to that question. So like what does a chief's mess think is a good chief? The answer's not going to be the same mess to mess, community to community, platform to platform, right? It should be. I mean, there's going to be a little variance because there are differences between all those things I just said, like community and platform and all that. But um, 
but not in what makes a good chief really like i mean there's going to be little like really when you go from community to community or platform to platform or command to command it's like the variance should just be adapting those values and and principles to the uniqueness of that community not that community dictating what a good chief is because the community trumps that or whatever um or just the unique way that it, it functions has these weird needs that they just decide are the important thing. But, um, but yeah, it's like, it's very subjective at that point. It, it's a big part of it is what that SEL thinks is important. What that CO thinks is important factors in a lot too. And that's the next thing I got on my list is your CO's definition or XO or whoever your department head, whoever you're interacting with the most, right? Like like on an aircraft carrier, the first class is reporting senior is the first 06 in their chain of command. So like I had a lot of supply department type evals that I would see at the chief's board at, at um, just the prior instructor evals when I was the SEL at the schoolhouse where it's like an 06 supply officer. So their department head is their reporting senior because they're in 06. Um, generally, I mean, I don't know if that's always true, but uh, so it's inter- it's just interesting um, to see that. And I mean, I guess they could be it as an 05, right? Yeah, I'd have to look at the book, but whatever. Um, so this, the CO or the reporting senior is probably the more accurate term. It's like that person's definition of what a good chief is, is going to matter a lot, too, because they're the person that is is rating you technically. I mean, you're getting rated by your the next person in your chain of command. So, like, if I'm the department chief, I'm rating my division chiefs and then I'm sending it up and the CMC gets a chop on it. at The department or divo probably, but they're checking for grammar and spelling usually. Um, and then it, as it goes up, it gets chopped up by all those people, gets to the reporting senior, gets signed. Right. Depends on how involved they want to be, how well they know you and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, your CO and your your SEL and your XO, like their definition of a, a good chief, is going to matter a lot too, right? So, what does your chief's mess think? That's your a lot is your community war, like uh, your platform, your command size, all that kind of shit, and your SEL. How do they? What do they? What's the culture of their mess? Because it very much is their mess in a lot of ways. They're going to set the tone. They're going to hold you accountable. They're going to train you, right? But then the COXO and everything else gets involved, and so now you're looking at not what this command SEL needs you to do within the skin of the mess to be a good chief. But now we're talking about what does the commander need you to do at the command outside the skin of the chief's mess to be a good chief. It's a different thing, right? And it's a huge different thing. Like they're both very big, right? So there's the objective like measurement part which you could call the mission vision guiding principles because they use it as the eval traits. But then when you get into the weirdness of the eval system and how strange it is, like uh, uh, Chop Travis did a really great uh, real TikTok, whatever the fuck, I don't know, um, about that, like where the individual trait things aren't real, aren't real. They're not re- they're not real. You're not getting rated on your technical mastery. You're getting rated however you need to get rated to manage the CEO's Risca and fucking summary group averages and shit and all that. Right. So like, uh, which I think is just Risca now. I don't fuck some of the shit I'm starting to data dump in a way that's going to make me sound like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. It's just, I've just been retired for fucking 16 months or something. Um, 
So you're not actually getting evaluated on those things. Not really. Like, uh, sure, there's like a, a background subjective measure of those things when they're writing up the blocks and they like take those things into account generally. But it's very much just like, a, yeah, the person's like a four two. You know what I mean? And like, we're going to rank. And a lot of it's driven by rankings too. But I, I don't want to get on an eval rabbit hole either. But like, you're just ranked where you're ranked. And then they make the trade average, like the your individual trait uh, average match where you were ranked. So it's like the, the one through five rating on an individual trait is effectively meaningless because of the way they use the eval system in real life. That's not the way it's intended if you read the eval manual at all. But that's the way that it's, it's, uh, implemented which makes it even even more confusing right uh so then then uh we get to i actually i'm gonna flip these we're gonna get to your sailor's definition because it'll i, I think it'll make it they all interface with your definition right uh, you're the individual that is the chief right so your sailor's definition of what's a good chief right a good chief could just be somebody who lets them go home early uh it could be like like you you could get a popular chief. I wouldn't call him a good chief, but you you could get a very popular chief. And I've I've seen this before um, where it was just like he was like the people's chief and he was a great dude, but he just he wanted to retire and they wouldn't let him. Uh, and he got to a point where a lot of the things he was doing, you could argue, were not in the best interest of his division and their develop development and. Uh, even the command it was not none of it was like super egregious and he was very smart and very good at his job and um, I wasn't in a position to evaluate him in any meaningful way either but I just I'm going off of what you know the Cobb told me but um, but yeah I mean it was and what he told me too I mean that dude like he didn't give a single solitary fuck he just wanted to, like, he just wanted to retire he was very bitter but he was a great dude and he did his job and he took care of his people so they loved him because he would do things that he knew he could get away with that would like make his division happy but like wouldn't be in line with what the command wanted um, because he didn't care he's like well okay fire me I want to quit it I want to quit this job anyway so like, but uh but yeah so the the like your sailor's definition of what makes a good chief it factors in for sure because what i really mean by that is um all, all that all that kind of superficial stuff aside like your people know when you care about them they know when you're actually doing the hard thing to take care of them the best you can they know um they know when you're not doing it right if that makes any kind of sense I, I don't know that they could all articulate to you what you're doing wrong but they know when you're not doing it right if that makes sense um and so when you're not you know meeting their measurement of a good chief it's like you're gonna know it and you're gonna know it based on like if if their leave chits aren't getting routed all the, all the things you see on the meme pages like the that list of things it's like if you're not taking care of them by the definition of those junior people uh you're gonna you're gonna know and that's that's going to factor into your division's performance your how your division interacts with you um and how you just feel in the role and how you feel about whether like how you feel about the answer when asking yourself or when someone else asks you are are you a good chief um 
so your sailor's definition plays a large role. For me, it was almost everything. Like it was, I would have rather went down. Yeah, I would rather just retired a chief than found myself in a position where I felt like I didn't take care of one of my people. You know what I mean? Like I was, I, I thought I was going to retire a chief, and we'll get to that later. But um, I say that a bunch, but like I'll elaborate on it a little bit more. Uh, and so then you get to your definition, like, so, so you're the person in the khakis, you're wearing anchors to work now. Let's pretend for the, the sake of the exercise that you're a new chief, right? A lot of your first year is spent trying to figure out the answer to this question. And it's usually framed as like, uh, like a learning curve or like, what do I do with my hands? You're like, you're just trying to, because of the way that we, neglect leadership development and education we don't spend a lot of time prepping people to become chiefs we evaluate and promote based on erroneous criteria it's like when you get there you feel like a fish out of water you feel wildly unprepared like you didn't study for the test right and now you're here and the test is happening and you're freaking out and so you're trying to like adapt acclimate and do whatever you can haphazardly to like find a way to to white knuckle your way through this first year until you figure all that out right like you're you're faking it till you make it for lack of a better phrase right it's just like i spent that first year being exasperated getting chin checked constantly getting getting lit on fire by my cob like because i wasn't doing it right but no one taught me how to do it right either like i i probably got prepared there better than anyone else that i know and i still was like I still spent that first year struggling. Right. Um, but I figured it out and it was thanks to all those dudes in that mess. Right. But it was like pulling teeth, man. And I'm stubborn. I think I'm right all the time. So it's like, you know, and I mean, I'd like to think I've, uh, gracefully matured in that area, but like, you know, I don't know. Um, but you spend that time kind of like just, not quite sure what the fuck to do with your hands and that feeling it it does start to go away because you do you're you do start to figure it out you start to get comfortable there you start to learn things you start to be comfortable asking more questions you start to be comfortable being more vocal uh and so they that like those things like you start to figure it out and then when you start acting the the part and we can tell it's not you just still white knuckling and shooting from the hip and trying to fake it. It's like, then you just, people just are like, all right, they get it now. And, and that's not how it should be done, but that's largely how it's done. So you find yourself constantly asking, like, am I a bad chief? Like, am I, cause you feel like you're doing everything wrong. You're like, am I just bad at this? Like, am I, am I doing it wrong or what am I doing wrong or, or what do I not know or whatever? Um, that first year, right? You spent a lot of time asking yourself that question, beating yourself up, uh, because during that time when you're getting criticized or getting, uh, you, you just get overwhelmed. Like they just put shit on your plate and put more and more and they do it to brand new chiefs a lot. Um, I was telling somebody this recently about like all the, they have all these like crappy collateral duties. Nobody wants queued up for you. They have, 
um, you know, positions in the CPOA nobody wants. Usually it's handling money, you know, like queued up for you. Like the boot chief just gets ever all the the bucket of stuff that we need somebody to do that nobody wants to do. It all just gets dumped on the new chiefs, and they're like, "Here you go. Here's your clatter duties. Here's your things you're gonna do in the mess. All that kind of all that kind of stuff, right? Zone inspection coordinator, shit like that." Um, so you're overwhelmed already by having to acclimate to this new environment. You're overwhelmed already um, by just all the unknown. But then they pile all you have to you're, you're trying to figure out how to be an LCPO. You're trying to figure out how to be a chief in the mess and feel normal in your own skin. And then now they layer on top of that. And there's probably new quals now that you're chief and new all kinds of other shit. But the, and then now they're like, oh, by the way, like as if your life's not hard enough, here's a bunch of collateral duties and uh, CPOA shit and whatever else they they layer on top of that. Um, so you yeah, you, you spend your your first year on average, probably maybe more uh, having like an identity crisis, really um, trying to find out where you fit in, trying to find out if you will ever fit in, trying to figure out what that even means um, and having all these different entities who, as we've discussed up to this point, have wildly different definitions or measures of what a good chief is telling you that you're not meeting it. Right. And in your mind, naturally, you're thinking there's only one definition, right? Like, what is a good chief? Like, okay, these are the things that make a good chief. Right. But that's not actually true. But no one tells you that. You just have to figure it out. Right. So you have to define what a good chief is to you because you're the one that has to live with all this shit. Right. And that's the dirty little secret that nobody talks about is whatever happens during this misadventure <laughs> where in khakis and anchors to work in your naval career, whatever happens, it's going to come to an end. Ask me how I know. Right. Like you will leave the Navy eventually. They like to talk about it at retirement ceremonies. Like eventually you're going to get sent home, whether it's four years or 40. Eventually. It's going to be the ride's over and you, you got to go. Somebody else is going to take your place now. And you have to su then live. I mean, you have to live with it while you're doing it, too, which is pro probably harder. But then eventually you're going to move on and leave the Navy and just go be a person that has to live with all the things that you said, did, thought, whatever, experienced. So this is where it gets really complicated this is what i when i was talking to this person that brought up the question it's like there's a, a very complex constellation of problems that you have to identify evaluate and deal with in a way that you can live with which requires a lot of prioritizing and some of that prioritization is going to hurt and i'm going to i'm going to get to that in a minute too but your definition at the end of this thing is what's going to be kind of like the guardrails or the compass for you to navigate through this process. And you just have to be willing to accept a certain number of possibilities. And sometimes it's probably it become it, like you'll recognize it becomes significantly more probable that an outcome will be negative based on you prioritizing something else over it. And you just need to be OK with that if you're going to get out of this on the other end 
not a dumpster fire, right? And that's probably where I screwed up and also probably why I didn't retire chief. So it's, it's a, again, I mean, it's a, it's very much prioritization and I didn't do it. I tried to just do everything and we all see how that, I mean, I got promoted, but I also had significant mental health issues and cancer at the end of my career, which I can't, you know, I can't for sure say that cancer came from the military, even though I've kind of, I'm going to blame them anyway. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, I can for sure say that the mental health stuff was directly linked, uh, to my military service and the way in which I conducted it. So, all right. So the constellation of problems part, I want to get to that because that's the nat- that's the natural next step. But also it's like, I think it's going to clear some of this up. I, I, I felt like I had to frame it a lot, but I feel like that framing can probably created a lot of confusion for some people. And hopefully I can clear some of it up, even though, you know, you know me. Um, so what are you willing to accept? That's something I say during the chief season a lot um, because the chief's mess likes to push selects hard a lot of the time they're pushing them harder than they can go on purpose because they want them to push back and say no and ask for help and all this kind of stuff it's it's more a test than it is an actual expectation right some of the ignorant people out there that are find themselves in the positions to be involved in or running entirely a chief season take things like that literally and they actually expect them to do all the things and they actually believe like the kids weren't issued in your sea bag type of shit and they are malevolent actors as a result of those beliefs i i'm i want to say it just comes from a place of ignorance and like leadership and competence and lack of emotional intelligence and while i believe that to be true it's also functionally malevolent which just means evil like the result feels like somebody's doing wrong to you because they are i just don't know that the actual motivations are malevolent so um but what are you willing to accept is kind of like so there's all these things pulling you in all these different directions you are not wrong in your analysis that you can't possibly juggle this many flaming fucking chainsaws at once you're not wrong. You can't do it. And that's where like prioritizing things comes in. That's how that's what saves you. However, you, there's not a way to prioritize 100% completion of everything all the time. Like it prioritization isn't going to isn't going to get you to be able to dot every i and cross every t for everybody all the time. That's just never going to happen. So, when I say what are you willing to accept? I mean, what consequences of prioritization are you willing to accept? And that's how you decide what it, what thing, what task, what priority is ranked in what place, right? So what do I mean by that? Can you live with your sailors needing something from you and you not providing it because you had to go do something else? Can you live with your CO being pissed at you because you didn't do the thing on time? Your monthly report for program X was late because you decided sitting there with Seema Timmy, whose girlfriend just broke up with him and he's a blubbering mess was more important. 
see where I'm going with this? There's going to be things that happen that you're going to need to decide like there, there's going to be like multiple things on fire at the same time and you have to decide which one gets put out first like what what do i deal with first because i can't be everywhere all the time and you can find ways to like force multiply yourself you can delegate you can create policies or procedures to try to automate certain things like there's lots of things you can do you can have assistance for certain collaterals and whatever but like Think about like for, a for example of, of how prioritization gets ugly. I needed to qualify diving officer watch on a submarine to be a chief of the boat, which is essentially a CMC in the submarine community, or it's like the start of the path, right? You're, that's a CMC of a submarine or the command SEL, and then you go into the command master chief program after that, right? Um, and that was my career goal. So like at the minimum, if I wanted to accomplish that, during the, my last sea tour, I needed to qualify diving officer of the watch, and I needed to qualify Cobb. Diving officer of the watch is a prerequisite for Cobb, so I had to do that. So I qualified. I qualified knowing I was going to stay in that shit. What what does that mean? When we're on deployment, like when the submarines at sea, you can pretty much delete 10, 11 hours a day from my schedule every single day of the week. Because I was a three-section dive with eight-hour watches. So for eight solid straight hours, I'm sitting in a chair. I can't walk away from it unless I get relieved to go to the head or something. And that's only for a couple minutes. But, like, I can't leave the little, like, five-foot, six-foot bubble that I'm in in the control room of the submarine for eight straight hours. Mind you, this has nothing to do with my primary duty or any of my collateral duties. Well, kind of one, but I couldn't do it on watch. So it's like... 10 hours how, how much are you awake every day like 16 hours 10 hours of my day just deleted because you got pre-watch brief post-watch brief cleanup running fucking code reds and shit blah 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 and then the eight hours of actual watch right it's it's fucking ridiculous so then and I, that's just i don't have a choice like that's just how it works so at sea you're talking about 10 hours a day just gone right so when am I going to do my primary duty? When am I going to do my several collateral duties? When am I going to sleep? When am I going to work out? When am I going to supervise my and train my people? When am I going to do fucking anything? And you got to decide like, okay, so I, I lose that 10 hours every single day. How do I use the other six, seven? Oh, I mean, an eight hour workday is a normal workday. And I didn't do any, I did work for other, like nothing to do with my entire primary duty for which the Navy pays me and my several collateral duties and training and supervising my guy, my people. Right. And I had like, there's just, when am I supposed to work out? When am I supposed to, when am I supposed to do anything? So you have to, you have to decide, okay, this is my reality. I lose 10 hours a day. Maybe I got six or seven to work with after I get off watch, which isn't always true, right? Because then maybe we're running drills. Maybe there's something else that's forcing, like, because there's always those things where sometimes I have to just be here and I don't get a vote. You know what I mean? And like, so 10 hours a day, every day of the week for the entire deployment is the starting point. And then maybe it's like on, on ballistic missile submarines, we have this thing called war day. So maybe I get off the mid watch and then we do war day. So then that whole six, seven hour period, 
I lose to war day. So then that whole day is gone. I can't do anything or I can sleep less. So maybe now I'm going to get four hours of sleep and do a little bit of work and be there for my people and then get not even close to enough sleep and then go back on watch and be responsible for ship safety. So it's so again, how do you prioritize these things? Because they I mean, they all seem like the most important thing, right? Like my people need me. That's the most important thing. Oh, but I got to go drive the submarine and it's, you know, critical to the mission and ship safety. Oh, that's that's definitely the most important thing. Like, oh, we got to run drills just in case the mission, like just in case we get tapped and we have to actually do the mission. Like, okay, so I mean, that's pretty important, too. Right. So I'll fit that in there somewhere. But then physical fitness and sleep is what's going to keep me from dying. Where do I fit that in? You know what I mean? Like, where do I fit my primary duty in? Because people are going to eventually somebody's going to come down and do an inspection on me. And when I fail the shit out of it, that's going to be the most important thing in that moment. And they're going to want an explanation on why I wasn't able to spin all these all these flaming chainsaws or juggle all these flaming chainsaws. Right. So what are you willing to accept? Are you willing to accept the the low inspection grade? Are you willing to accept three hours of sleep a night? You shouldn't, but that's where most people find the time. Are you willing to accept? But then there and there's always a downside, right? If I get three hours of sleep a night every night, eventually I'm going to fall asleep on watch. That's a fucking problem. Or I'm not going to be alert and I'm going to miss an indication and and maybe somebody gets hurt because I didn't like detect a casualty inbound, right? Like I didn't read the indications on my planes correctly and we're getting fucking run over by a tanker and oh God, we just got into a collision, right? So, I mean, <laughs> what are you willing to accept? So it, it's it's complicated. It's very, very difficult um, because so much of what chiefs have their hands in a lot of the times feels like you can't possibly prioritize anything else over it. Everything feels so important that it just can't not get done. And so, like, the logical place for you to take from is any personal time, right? Like sleep, exercise shit like that eating sometimes people just skip meals to use that time elsewhere so you have to set boundaries like decide what you're willing to accept and then set boundaries there right like there are there are things that you can do and and i got away with a lot of the shit because i was single no kids for the majority of my military career and then even then it was my wife she worked full time and we're local to her entire family and a bunch of friends. So it's like, she's got shit to do when I'm at work. So, and it's not like she didn't miss me, but I'm just saying like, I could get away with a lot more than somebody with a wife and three kids at home. And you know, that, that have an expectation that you're there more and that you're alert and not just coming home and going straight to bed. And not again, not that that didn't tax my marriage a little bit, but that's also a big reason why I retired because I wasn't willing to accept risking my marriage to be a good cop. And, you know, cancer and shit. But like, that was a huge part of it. I was terrified. I was going to I was going to fuck my or just wreck my marriage by going because for me to go to see and be a cop from I had it's too important to not do right. It's too important to not do the way that I think is right, which is going to be rough on my wife. So I didn't. Um, but you have to decide what you're willing to accept in those areas. So you have to decide like 
how much time am I going to spend with my people? How much time am I going to spend doing these other things? And those things can all shift depending on what's going on in each area, right? Like maybe your people are doing great. Everybody's happy, healthy and, and just locked in and engaged and they don't need as much attention as these other things. But if you neglect them too long, that will go away and they will need a lot of attention, right? So it's like there's a maintenance phase. <laughs> there's a maintenance component to that to keep that chainsaw in the air, right? That flaming chainsaw from hitting the ground but then you got to qualify that watch too you got to do that thing for the ceo you got to route your monthly report you got to do a good job at your collateral duty you got to call you know like it fucking never ends so you basically need to decide what's what are the things that are important and that includes advancement right most of the time when there's a cost because because in in my experience unless you're a fucking sociopath you're not going to be willing like there's going to be red lines and a lot of those red lines are going to be around my people right like i'm my people come first sailors first always like that's just i'll i'll die on that hill every time right my people come first always and then like my own fucking mental and physical health you know it's pretty important so but some people are willing to make those sacrifices and i did for the majority of my career until cancer and then i was just like nah fuck y'all i'm sleeping i'm i'm taking care of myself i'm you know i'm i am more important than this job so okay so maybe it's that maybe it's not right maybe it's college education you got time for that or are you worried about collateral duties and volunteer work and whatever the hell else on shore duty so that you can advance, right? But a lot of the times what like, and I even wrote advancement versus priorities. It's like, you got to decide what you're willing to accept in the department of, of how you conduct yourself as a chief and what you're willing to live with because the decisions you make like that, those are going to have effects, right? Like if you don't, if you were able to somehow not like neglect your people for the sake of advancement, that's, you're gonna regret that shit later. That's gonna leave a mark. I guarantee there's going to be scar tissue from that. And you're going to get told about it at some point, right? God forbid a sailor like takes her in life or has mental health issues and they and they point at you as the reason. Right. But maybe they just get out of the Navy and they're like, because my leadership was terrible. Maybe they uh, they meet that like maybe their next chief is is, is great. And they're just like, oh, thank God. And you, like the word's going to get back to you eventually that you did them wrong in some kind of a way. Right. And you're going to order or more commonly, you're just going to know that you that you dropped the ball there either retrospectively or while you're in it and you're going to make the decision anyway and that's you're bordering on the sociopath thing there man like if you're if you're actively picking career advancement over your people you're fucking up um but you may not be doing that knowingly you may not have the level of emotional intelligence and competence to even recognize that fact and that's that's a thing too and that's a lot more common than people think it is but you got to decide it's it's complicated. You have to like identify your identify your priorities and set boundaries in rank order. Like and how do you say no? You know what I mean? Like what's the mechanism for saying no to things? And it's like one of the things the person that I I I think of when I quote this, not a super meaningful person in the in the uh like 
reel in my head of of my military career. Not somebody that I like go back to and I'm like, man, I really admired that guy or whatever. He's a prior enlisted officer. And he just said this one time at a brief and it stuck with me for some reason. He said the most powerful word you can say on board a submarine is no. And it was interesting because like you're kind of programmed to have that like, oh, we'll just figure it, figure it out. Like, yes, we just don't know how yet, but we'll we'll figure it out at the expense of everything that's meaningful, including my sleep and mental health and physical health and all that shit. Like, we'll just figure it out. Um, You put yourself in a lot of very dangerous situations when you say yes, no matter what. Right. Um, So what he was the point he was driving home was like, if you're not ready if we're not in a safe condition, if you know something that the person giving the order doesn't know, whatever, it's like a procedural violation. Say there's some safety wise. You just say no. You say stop. We're, no, we're not ready to do this, whatever. So people have this sailors have this thing in their head where they think they can't say no to something, especially brand new chiefs like you get tasked with a, a collateral duty and they're just like. Okay, I just got voluntold I have to do this thing. And it's like, you're allowed to push back. Doesn't mean it'll work. Not really. But you can say, like, yeah, this feels like a lot more than I can handle right now. I'm still trying to figure out how to how to be a chief and and or after the fact, after you're trying to, which is probably more common, after the fact, like there's for sure some boot chiefs right now that are out there just like pulling chunks of their hair out, freaking out about all the things they were tasked with and they can't handle it because of all these reasons, right? Some professional, some personal, right? Like maybe your home life is insane. Like I know, I've had chiefs get a hold of me where like their wife is like terminally ill or like uh, uh, the spouse or a kid is like uh, EFM cat, whatever the fuck. And it's like a, a big, it's a big thing they have to deal with every single day. So they can't be at work until nine at night. You know what I mean? Like they need to go home because otherwise their spouse is dealing with that, all of the stress of whatever the situation is at home. Or, you know, like the maybe the spouse can't deal with the stress of the kids because they're the one with the issue. Who, Whatever. I've heard some wild stories. Point being, not everybody's this created equal in the in their ability to be at work forever. But people like to just dress it up in this in this uh like presented as well this is just what we do if you're gonna wear a khaki belt and get this paycheck then you just need to shut up and get to work no matter what time it is or how long we've been here or how much your family is you know fuming or whatever so uh yeah i decide what your priorities are Right. You set boundaries based on those priorities and you just be uncompromising about it. Um, now, where it gets weird is so if you're voluntold to do extra stuff you don't want to do or feel you can't do for good reasons. There it's kind of like the, I hate it. I hate the idea of it. But that silent quitting thing that's going around on social media, it's like at some point, like I would just put programs down. Because I just don't, I just don't have time, and sleep's more important. When we're on deployment, the Simeo program, like I, I'm not even gonna look at it. I don't, I just, I don't have time to care. You know, if, if there's an NJP, I'll show up and take notes. But like, I'll catch up when we get home. But while we're on deployment, I'm gonna suck at this. And if somebody asks as soon as we get home, hey, we're gonna come down and audit your Simeo program. 
like okay it's gonna be a shit show and then i would just brief the chain of command like hey i didn't have time to fuck with this while we we're on deployment because i was busy doing deployment things now i'm catching up but they want to come do an inspection and i said no i'm not ready and they said too fucking bad so we're gonna get face munched you know what i mean and you'd be surprised how little because the co and all them were just on deployment with you too you'd be surprised how little they give a shit most of the time right you're gonna have some super hyper eager beaver of a co at some point that's gonna be just thirsting for that star so bad that uh you know they're not gonna care and they're gonna freak out right but most of the time my co xo everybody else is like they're reasonable and you, you when you bring stuff like that up a lot of times what happens is a co or xo picks up the phone and tells the entity that wants to come down and inspect you on a program that doesn't really fucking matter even though i'm not saying equal opportunity doesn't matter i'm just saying like the binder that i'm required to upkeep doesn't matter while we're on deployment i can catch up when we get home and i i'm gonna and i have the data and calm the fuck down but it's just not ready right now so they're gonna call whoever and tell them to fuck off like, no, we're not doing this right now. This is the stupidest possible time to do this. We just got home from deployment. So I'm not saying you should like, I'm not, I'm not encouraging anyone to willingly neglect a, a program or a duty of some kind. But what I am saying is there's a time to care about career development boards. It's not when we're on deployment doing a mission. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying like there isn't ever time, but, but, I got so much shit going on <laughs> like and again like let's go back to the seven days a week I lose 10 hours of the day so it's like I just there's just times where that's not the priority and because I made that the bottom of my list of priorities for deployment not all the time but sometimes something's going to come up and I'm not going to be ready for it because I put that program down and I'll pick it up when we get home and you need to be willing to accept that. And for me, that's I'll I'll take that pill every day of the week. I don't care. Like I'm gonna catch up. I'm gonna get the program squared away. But I'm not gonna do it when I'm standing t t like eight hours of watch every day, and then have to go do all these other things to make sure the mission happens. The mission is gonna come first, right after me taking care of my people, which is the mission in my mind. But whatever. There's times where I have to do things with my own hands and brain for the mission like standing dive and it's like when i'm doing that that gets all my attention i don't give a shit what my binder looks like so that's an example of prioritizing and just being okay with not doing something um another example within my community again it's just my context i'm sorry if you're bored with the submarine references but uh for cooks specifically right on submarines we we have a very untraditional career path or career progression on submarines in that every other rate on the submarine has like a, a watch station qualification um, path, right? And they're all watches that, I mean, if they're in rate, it's something like a mechanic or something, but like everybody's got watches where it's like they're doing something in the watch section, they're on watch, it's treated like watch, and... Um, they can point at something and compare it to it and be like, oh yeah, it's kind of like that. And it's like just a normal submarine career progression thing. So it's like, they all kind of feel like we're submariners and we stand watch. Cooks do their job in the galley and it's a watch, right? But it's a lot more informal of a structure, even though there are logs, there are, you know, like all the same kind of things that 
everyone else does, but for whatever reason, they're identified differently. So we're treated differently. However, uh, a cook chief, it's not part of their normal career progression to qualify chief of the watch and diving officer of the watch. It's just not. Um, because we don't spend any time in the control room of the submarine until you get to that point. Like LSs, they get to drive the submarine and they get to be up there and learn all those things. And that's their normal watch station because there's not a watch station that's required in supply. Um, it, you know, it's the, the point I'm getting at here is like you can decide not to qualify things. Or you can you can have somebody that decides they don't need you in control, right? Which that happened to me in my first submarine. I was very career minded, though, and I was trying to qualify everything and do all the things I knew I needed to do to advance because I wanted to advance. Um, so when I made chief, my next, you know, next stop senior chief. So what do I got to do to be a senior chief? Well, I got to qualify chief of the watch and duty chief, at least, if not dive. So I qualified chief of the watch and duty chief wouldn't they let me stand duty chief because they don't really care about that and it makes their watch feel better but they when i made chief they wouldn't let me stand chief of the watch anymore and then they wouldn't, wouldn't even let me qualify dive because they just didn't believe that that's what i needed to be doing however my career progression like my enlisted career path does think i need to be qualified dive to make senior chief so i was and i wanted to be a cop so i was pissed um but i had a lot more time to train to develop my people, figure out how to be a chief. I had, I was a command career counselor for the largest submarine career in the Navy. So even though I wasn't staying a watch, don't think I wasn't busy. I had the, I had that, I had all their collateral duties. Too. I'd have to go back and look, but I had a lot going on anyway. I was still very busy and I was figuring out how to be a chief. And, but I ha, I still spent a lot of time training and supervising my division, um, which was great. Like they were the best trained cooks I've ever met in the entire Navy, like hands down. Like, I mean, there's some Gucci fuckers in DC shout out to all my enlisted aides, but like, you know what I mean? That are actually doing it in the real Navy. And, and especially the submarine force, we were the baddest dudes walking. Like those cooks were incredible. Um, so again, like, what are you willing to accept? Because had I not qualified those things, like it say, like they didn't want me to, right? They don't want me to qualify dive there. And I think it slowed me down to make a senior chief, but you know, it all ended well at the end, but, um, it could have kept me from making senior chief, right? If I had never qualified it. And then I, I went to the a school and it's like, I ended up getting to be the SEL and I went to the senior enlisted Academy as a chief. And I'm pretty sure that's what put me over. Cause I made senior chief before I qualified dive on my third submarine, but it, you know, like, it's kind of a soft prerequisite to make senior chief. So like I got lucky that I basically just outran not having that qualification, but I, I could have not, I could have just been a, a Joe Schmo, a school instructor the whole time, got my MTS and, and then rolled out as a chief and showed up back to my second submarine as a chief and then not qualified dive and never made senior chief. You know, see, see where I'm going with this. So like I could have elected to just not do that, to just not requalify anything and not, you know, qualified dive and I would have never made senior chief and I'd be, you know, I, I don't know what I would have done on shore duty the last time around. And then I would have retired a chief. And that's, that's the thing. Like I thought, and I, this would probably be a good time to elaborate on the thought from earlier. I thought I was going to retire chief my whole career. I, I didn't, I still pursued it because I wanted it. Right. But I thought for sure I was never going to be a senior chief, let alone a master chief, because I got a big mouth <laughs> and I 
definitely said no to shit. And I called people out on their bullshit and I was very vocal in the advocacy of my people and I held chiefs accountable and yeah, you know I mean, like corrected officers like I was I was very vocal and very not worried about how anybody felt about what came out of my mouth if I thought it was the right thing to do. Like if I thought it was a hill to die on, I'm fucking dying on that hill and I, I like I don't care. And that pisses people off. That ruffles feathers. That makes me the guy that's hard to work with or the, you know, the loud, aggressive guy or the unapproachable guy or whatever. But my sailors were well taken care of. Supply department was squared the fuck away. My guys were well trained, well taken care of, well advocated for. You know, and it's like, had I had different leadership or gotten less lucky, I'd be a chief like when I, I would have been a chief when I retired for sure. Like, I'm surprised. Like, I, I, it was like, it's like that scenario and in, uh, I think it's Infinity War or whatever, where it's like there's one possible outcome where they win and like 10 bazillion where they don't. It's kind of like that. Like, I bet nine times out of 10, if I could rerun that over and over again, which God fuck, I don't want to do that. But like, if I could, I bet you nine out of 10 times I'm retiring a chief or a senior chief, best case scenario. <sighs> like a last second senior chief, you know? Um, so I, but I was, I was okay with that. I was willing to accept that, you know what I mean? And so it, it's what you're willing to accept. That doesn't mean you, you can't promote. It just means that you might not as a result of your decision-making. If you say no to a collateral duty, if you refuse to get a qualification, if you, you know what I mean? Like if you just become the person that's known for saying no, if you, if you decide that some of the people's priorities that are responsible for writing your eval are bullshit and you're not going to do them because you have the freedom to make that choice. You know what I mean? If you're not going to be involved in CPOA shit, if you're not going to do the, you know what I mean? There's all these things that add up and it can be a death of a thousand cuts. And I'm not saying you're wrong for doing it. I'm just saying there are consequences to you prioritizing the certain things. So you just need to be aware of that, that you are taking that risk, but understand that there are always other ways, right? Like everybody told me, everybody, you got to qualify dive to make senior chief. You're not going to make senior chief without being qualified dive. Guess what I did? I made senior chief without being qualified dive. Um, I still had a shit hot evals. I still had a great record. I found a way to outrun the fact that I wasn't qualified dive by just doing what I do. Um, but that was there was luck involved there because had there been a bunch of dudes qualified dive at that selection board, I wouldn't have made senior chief. So there's luck involved. Um, you, you need to be aware of those things, right? But you also need to be aware that if I didn't get like if I didn't get lucky and I didn't make senior chief, whatever, it's fine. I'd have been fine. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I put, uh, so I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the kind of the next thing is learning to navigate the system as it exists to maximize net good. Like don't cut off your nose to spite your face. So whatever, if we're talking about a program, if we're talking about the eval system, fucking standing 10, 10 hours or eight hours of watch every day and taking 10 hours out of your day, whatever. Like the, the way that the Navy is structured, the way that your warfare community platform, whatever career progression, whatever we're talking about, the eval system, the award system, any of it, the way that it is constructed and the way that it behaves and its priorities 
are not going to change just because you want them to or just because you're displeased with them and they're inconvenient for you. It's just not going to fucking happen, right? The fact that it's incredibly confusing and complicated and annoying that nobody has the same definition of a good chief, it's not going to fucking change. Not anytime soon. I mean, I'm, I'm advocating for that type of institutional change every time I do a podcast. But what I'm saying is it's not going to change just because you're displeased with it, just because it's wildly inconvenient and painful for you. So what do we do about that? Like, what what can you do within this system that, you know, is so fucking maddening and not conducive to you being the leader you want to be? Right. You learn how it works and then you start leveraging all of the things that you can because there are mechanisms and they're like if you think about what do i want to do i want to get my sailor mapped okay how do i do that here's the program answer here's the real life answer and you figure out where's the path inside the mess to getting that done like how do how do other people do it how is it historically done like what levers do i got to pull what you know hands do i got to shake and babies do i got to kiss like what what's the path like what's the combination of buttons and arrows i got to push on the nintendo controller of chiefs messness to get my to get to the place that i want to be right and there's an answer to that question you just got to figure out what it is and that comes with like studying the the hierarchy and the subculture and the power centers of the cheese mess that you exist in and figuring out how to manipulate and use those things. And because that's what everybody's doing that's successful at this. Everybody's just figuring out how it works, figuring out what levers they can pull, what buttons they can push to get done what they need to get done. Right. And then you start doing that. And that doesn't just apply to the, the chief's mess. It applies to the whole fucking Navy, everything. Every program in the Milpers manual, every nav admin that comes out, every watch, you got to qualify every everything. There's a there's a way that it works and it's not going to change just because you don't like it. So just learn about it. Just figure out how it works and then start exploiting it in the the best way you can to take care of your people and get the thing done. You can do that. Like it's an option. I did it with the from from any being a second class. Like I did it with the Navy advancement system. I did it. I just learned how it worked. I figured out that I had the most control over the points I had on my profile sheet by doing really well in the exam. You can get up to 80 points on a Navy advancement exam. So if I study my ass off and I answer more questions right than everyone else because it's graded on a curve. I'm probably going to advance like an EP is not the best way. And they they every once in a while, they update the advancement manual and they update that formula to compute the PMA and all that other bullshit and to get to your final multiple score. But it's like you study that instruction, you figure out how they do that. I mean, there's charts and tables and math and fucking explanations and it's all in there. It's not that hard of a read. It's not an exciting read, but it's not that long and it's not that complicated. If you go in there and actually read the document, it's like the answers to the test. It's like I know how the system works now, so I know how to exploit the system to get to where I want to be. Does an EP help? Yeah, fuck yeah, it does. Fuck yeah, it does. Award points are usually non, not very significant, but it, they do help. It's way less impactful. College points, if they're still doing that, way less impactful, right? The big, the big two are number one is your test score. Number two is your, your uh, PMA, right? But it's a lot harder to control your PMA. It takes a, a year to get another another uh, promotion recommendation. So whereas I, if you're taking the advancement exam twice a year, you can just study more 
and have and that's the most you can do to to manipulate the points that you have on that thing but you don't know any of that shit unless you get into that program and learn about it and figure out how it works so that you can then exploit it it's a lot harder to bang your head against the wall thinking that that's going to do anything useful than it is to just figure out how it works and exploit it you know it's annoying that you have to like that you have to like learn the program i guess but I mean, that's pretty typical of any job. And then you just exploit that system to get what you need out of it. You know, and exploit sounds negative and that's not I don't mean it like in a way like you're robbing them of something or you're like figuring out a way to get one over on the system. It's like, no, figure out how it works so you can use it optimally. So your people can use it optimally so that everybody gets what they want. Advancement, recommendations and promotions and awards and all the fucking things, right? Quals, whatever. So you can best take care of your people. So if you figure out the best and that that goes for yourself, too, if you figure out how to like leverage the system to get the absolute best out of it instead of trying to actively like subvert it or just not interacting with it because you don't like it, it'll it'll help tremendously with you managing this complex constellation of problems. Right. Um, so learn what bridges you can burn and what bridges you can't dis- despite strong desires to burn everything <laughs> when you when you get to a place where you're like fuck the world I'm you know I'm, I want to burn it all down um, sometimes there are there like you can go scorched earth like sometimes um, sometimes you can't right if you have a command sel that you don't like and you burn that bridge you're fucked until that person transfers and maybe even some residue after they transfer because they're gonna do a turnover and you're gonna be the problem child um you just kind of can't burn that bridge uh maybe i'm sure i could create a scenario where you would like i almost punched my ceo in the face in the control room of a submarine once as a senior chief almost I really liked the idea of having the pension and disability check that I do right now. And I'm very happy I didn't punch a student in the face, even though he deserved it. And I still want to to this day. But I understood the consequences and I was not willing to accept them. So like there are and had I burned that bridge, it would have made my life difficult for a very long time afterwards because I didn't stop interacting with that dude after I transferred. I ran into him a bunch after that too. So, uh, yeah, I'm very glad I didn't burn that bridge. And th- you know, like it's a long story. I-, I don't think he's a bad person. I just think he did some bad shit because he wasn't doing all these things well in the role of being a CEO. Like he wasn't managing anything. He was stressed out in a way that most people on Earth can't even fucking fathom. I mean, it's like some astronaut level stress off as a CEO of a submarine. Um, but yeah, it's like, you, you can't really do that and, and survive it in any meaningful way. Like that's going to leave a mark. That's probably, uh, not recoverable, right? Like, uh, you know, I mean, you punch a CEO in the face. You, I mean, that's like, you're fucked, but I almost did. I was real close, real close. Um, but there are some that you can right and that's okay like there are relationships you're going to have 
and some of them you're going to be the subordinate or you're going to be like a lateral like this person's a program manager maybe they're a civilian or maybe not but they're like the next level in the echelon of whatever for a collateral duty or you know the primary duty they have or whatever there are times where uh it may be merited and it may be necessary for you to to protect these priorities that you have and and to keep somebody on the right side of a boundary where you're going to need to either temporarily or permanently burn a bridge and you need to really examine that and just be very cautious but also be be willing to do it like there's that part too it's like there are guys that were in my community uh one of which i'm thinking of that i technically worked for um that while i was working for him i told him to get fucked and it's because he was a bad dude that was actively trying to sabotage my career and treating my people poorly um luckily i had a great chain of command that backed me up and when he tried to come for me as a result of telling him to fuck off they were they all had my backs um but that's because I didn't burn those bridges. <laughs> and so like, and I did a really good job at my job and I took really good care of my people. And so like my Cobb and my XO and my CO, they knew exactly who I was and they knew this guy was full of shit. And I, but I, I cultivated that over time. Like I made sure they knew who this guy was and I even let him step on his own junk a few times in front of like my XO and CO. So they knew exactly who this dude was. You know what I mean? So when I did it, I mean, I did it in a pretty, not to like toot my own horn, but it was a pretty masterful performance. Some of it, a lot of it was luck, but like I did it in front of his boss. That was the Tycom guy just made him look like a fucking idiot because he just didn't understand the landscape. He didn't understand what the situation he was just all, he was like tunnel vision on trying to screw me over. And so he fucked up and I dunked on him and then walked out of his office and it was a good time. And I still think fondly of that moment. However, like that burnt, that bridge was burned forever. Because fuck that guy. Like, I don't want that guy in my life. I don't want anything from him. And, you know, I retired outranking him anyway. So, ha, ha, ha. But also, like, you know, I don't, fuck, I don't care where he is or what he's doing. Like, that guy is, you know, like, he's a he wasn't a good dude. And so, like, I don't, I don't have any problem burning that bridge. And it could have cost me something because he was a little ahead of me career progression-wise and seniority-wise at the time. And he was positionally senior to me and so it's just like that could have sucked you know that could have been a lot worse because when i i burned that bridge like i mean he had like two years left in his tour and i burned that bridge um i try and i tried to have a relationship with this dude i tried to play nice and he was just he was just a bad person so i'm like all right i all right I fucking lit that bitch on fire and watched it burn with a smile on my face. And, um, and it could have come back to haunt me in a lot of shitty ways, uh, that I probably hadn't even thought of at the time, but luckily it didn't until he tried to make his move at the very end of my tour. And I just, you know, just, what do you, how do you say it? Like posterize or posterize or whatever, like just dunked on him so hard that it was like a, on the sports center's top 10 plays type, type to type thing like that dude he never recovered um 
So yeah, there's that. And then what can you actually handle? That's another thing I wrote down. You, you're human. You have hard limits despite thinking otherwise. So this is a question that I never asked myself um, because I just, I've talked about this a lot uh, in relation to like my mental health issues at the end of my career. I, I thought I had broader shoulders than everyone else. I thought I had a fucking superpower or whatever. Like I thought I was built different. It took till the end of my career, but I fucking found out I wasn't. Uh, and I'm still dealing with the repercussions, right? So you need to figure out what you can actually handle, right? Um, and part of it's like what you're willing to handle, but I, I, I really do mean like what can you handle? Because there's a difference. Like there's some stuff nowadays, like, like this is a stupid example, but I'm going to make it because I think it illustrates my point well. I just bought tickets to fly home to visit family, right? It's my new niece's first birthday party next month, and I'm going to go home and see her and hang out with the family and some friends. But when I bought the ticket, so I pay for that clear shit every year now because I used to be able to do TS, or, uh, TSA pre-check for free with my ID and shit. When you retire, it's not really anymore, but you can like get back in the program somehow by paying them money or something, which I just thought it was stupid. And the, the clear thing, it seems easier, like it gets you through faster. So I pay for that and uh, I paid like the I paid like a couple hundred extra dollars just to upgrade my seats, not uh, the shit behind first class. Like I'm not that Gucci, but like just because I'm fucking old and rickety, my knees hurt all the time my, right now. So like the reason why it's Friday at fucking 1845 when I'm recording this and I'm going to release it tonight, too, is because like I'm in a non-trivial amount of physical pain as I'm recording this because I have my SI joint is pissed at me for fucking banana because I'm 40 and I do jujitsu. I don't know. Like I, I'm I was all fucked up. I did no gi jujitsu on Tuesday and couldn't get out of bed Wednesday morning. And when I say I couldn't get out of bed, that's not an embellishment. I tried to get up to go to the bathroom, which is four feet away and attached to my bedroom and I fell on the ground and then I got back to my bed and I picked myself back up and I tried to walk again and I could not walk to the bathroom. And so I finally like f using walls and tables and shit to prop me up, got to the bathroom to use it, went back to bed and thank God I, you know, I went to sleep and slept for another like four hours. And then when I woke up, I was like functional enough to walk to the fridge and get my ice pack and then heating and stretching. And I, I went to the chiropractor like two hours ago and that dude's a fucking wizard. God bless his heart. If you're ever in this area, hit me up and I will give you the name of the best chiropractor ever. So he fixed a lot of it, but I'm still like, I'm standing cause I can't sit and like, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I fucking... The point is, <laughs> I just, I'm willing to pay the extra money. I'm willing to do the thing to, to make myself more comfortable because I'm not willing to accept a shitty coach seat where I've got to like put my knees in my fucking chest to accommodate my backpack that's on the floor and the thing I want to watch a movie on and hate my life for fucking think the flight's like four hours or something four and a half hours or some shit so it's like what are you willing to accept and what are you actually capable of handling because that's just where i'm at like i hate my idea of hell is air travel so i'm gonna make it uh, uh, i'm gonna and i'll pay i don't care i'll pay the money uh to not have to deal with certain bullshit now right like um and so that's kind of the thing, like, what can you actually handle? Like, what are you willing 
to handle, yes. But like, what are you actually able to handle? Because I can't like travel. Like my wife wants to travel. She wants to like adventure, go see the world. To an extent, I've seen the world. And with my anxiety and just the crotchety fucking old man that I am, it's like getting on an airplane and going somewhere. I mean, it happens like once a year. And it's usually going home to see my family because I miss them all the time. And I want to see as much of them as I can before, you know, my parents are fucking old. They're going to die eventually. I, I, I want to see them as much as I can. I want to spend as much time with them as I can before that happens. I also unexpectedly lost my oldest brother and two young nieces. So it's like I have that burned into my mind forever that like they're just because like my parents being old, they might not be the ones that I lose. You know what I mean? So it's like I want to see these people. But like, I wish I could go all kinds of other places. I want to go to Vegas and see my best friend. I want to go to San Diego and see my other best friend. I want to go to Virginia and see my other best friend and all my homies from Virginia. I want like, there's lots of people I want to see in real life, but it's like, it is very, air travel is very taxing on me, like in a lot of ways. And it's, and just being away from home is taxing on me as well. So like, I just, I have a really hard time with it. And like going to Michigan is less troublesome because I'm I'm effectively going home so I feel like I'm with my parents I'm at home I'm with my brother and his wife and my niece I'm at home you know what I'm saying and I know this place I recognize these things so it's less stressful for me for whatever reason um but yeah like you you have hard limits you're a human being they're probably different than another human being because we're all unique but you have hard limits. I don't really want you to find them unless you want to find them. So you need to like start to to ask yourself that question of like, what can I actually handle? Because when you start to feel yourself fraying at the edges, like that's not a time to be like, oh, I found I found the limit of what I'm willing to accept. It's like, no, you found your fucking hard limit. And it's a little late to deal with it. You know, not that you can't. I'm just saying like, you're no it's this is reactive like you're no when you start feeling yourself fraying at the edges you're reacting to the fraying you're not being proactive we're not at preventative maintenance and that's what i'm saying is like before you get to the part where you can fucking see your hard limit and reach out and touch it you need to like we shouldn't be getting to that point and so that is why you need to figure out what you can actually handle like what you are willing to handle so that we don't arrive at that hard stop. And maybe you're willing to get a, like fly a little closer to the sun than everyone else. And that's fine. But you, you everybody's got a hard stop. And if you get there, you're going to shut off. Like I, I, I promise you, you're going to shut. You're going to shut down. And I'm I'm speaking from life experience, like lived experience where I thought I was a fucking superhero. I thought I could just go and go and go forever and I could just keep carrying the increased load, keep dealing with the extra things and just go, 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 go forever. And I went until I found my hard limit that I didn't think existed. And when I hit that shit, I shut the fuck off my whole thing. Like I did not have control of my emotions. I couldn't fuck it. I was snapping at people I like kids and my wife and fucking innocent bystanders at a grocery store. It was like I was fucking useless. And so like when I tell you that, like when you get to that point, like there's no like, 
oh, I'm just going to like dial it back with this collateral duty. Like, no, like, fuck that. You're done. You're out of the game until this is fixed to a point that you're functional enough to come back and dip your toes back in the water. Like, that's where you're at. You're going to complete all stop until we're ready to turn on like a fucking EPM or something. That was a submarine reference, I think. I don't know if surface ships have those things, but anyway. Um, and then like kind of the last part, and then I'll just go into a bit of a narrative and wrap this thing up is like navigating the entire thing, right? So like now we know that everybody's definition of what, what makes a good chief is different, including yours being different from mine, being different from the chief next to you, being different from whoever. Um, so like everybody within your, your bubble of your sphere of influence has a different definition, including yourself. And then if you and I talked, we'd probably have a slightly different definition as well. And so would a different CEO and a different platform and a different community member and all the things, right? So like there are wildly varying answers to the question, depending on who you ask and where you ask and how you ask and whatever of, you know, like what's a good chief. So navigating that complicated fucking landscape and deciphering this constellation of, of problems and deciding how to prioritize your attention and effort for all these different parts of the constellation of problems, right? Like deciding I have this much, I have this much bandwidth. How am I going to divvy this up amongst all these other things? And then how is that going to it, it, it think about it like it's it's ever changing as well because it is like this is a it's a living document sometimes you're gonna have to move some shit around and like reprioritize reallocate some of your bandwidth here and there and wherever it needs to be based on your priorities of like what's important now what's important in five minutes what's important in five five hours five days five months five years whatever um and it's like a big part of your navigating it is going to be using your definition of what a good chief is filtered through that prioritization and uh, like allocation of uh, uh, like prioritization of what you th like what you think is important and that drawing the boundaries based on those priorities and then, you know, holding the line on those things. It's like it's going to be a it's going to be a lot, but like a big part of that, it's like you're using your definition of what makes a good chief to kind of drive all that. Like that's the, the North star, your moral compass, whatever is your definition of what a good leader is, is going to include, is going to be made up of what you're willing to accept based on, you know, like what, what are you going to be able to go home and sleep soundly at night with like what what actions you take during the day based on those priorities and your understanding of what a good chief is and all those things it's like your prioritization of and and application of effort and all those things and how you move it around and how you you know dole it out to the different places that it's needed and the things that you neglect as a result of not being infinite is like all of those things need to happen within the the boundary of your definition of what a good chief is because your definition of what a good chief is if you know because you're the chief in this scenario if i didn't make that clear you need to go home and live with it so what you're 
willing to accept and what you're willing to live with, like morally and go home and sleep soundly and and be good with it when you punch out at the end of your career needs that all those things they need to fit inside the boundary of your answer to that question of like what is a good chief based on your moral compass your context your understanding whatever right that's how you navigate through this very complimented or compliment complicated and confusing constellation of problems because what is a good chief it's whatever you think it is sort of because Based on your priorities, it's going to like if for me, sailors first, always like my people are the most important thing, even above myself, which I know is probably not the healthiest thing, but it's just who I am. The that is going to inform my definition of what a good chief is. That may not always inform everybody else's definition or that priority might not be exactly on the in at the same place in the rank order, right? But as I can tell you from my lived experience as well, I'm the one that's got to live with how I conducted myself during my military career. And I'm going to be alive, hopefully a lot longer than I was in the military. So it's like the majority of my life is going to be spent out of it. Right. I'd like to think I got like 30 or 40 or more years left in me, but which is way longer than I was in the military. Right. Uh, So it's like, you got to be willing to live with it beyond your service so your definition based on that, you know, moral makeup and, you know, organizational values play a role. Mission requirements play a role. The mission, vision, guiding principles plays a role, right? But you're the one that's got to live with it. You're the one that has to, to be able to answer the question, like, did I do the best I could based on my capacity and understanding and makeup, right? Because like, another fun uh fun fact is like like i've said it on the podcast a bunch like i'm still learning a lot about leadership and psychology and everything else that would have made me a much better leader when i was in uniform but that ship has fucking sailed so it's like it's frustrating even in that context to look back and and you know like retrospectively evaluate myself and just be like fuck i wish i would have known this that and the other thing earlier i wish i would have studied earlier i wish i would have known to like leverage these mechanisms earlier um but yeah and then uh, i mean i've I've said this already but navigating it the, the priorities and stuff will they're going to be like uh the priorities rank order is going to shift dramatically based on what's happening and all the dynamics of all the individual situations. So it's like, it's not like you you can, you almost have two lists, right? It's like I have my rank order of priorities that's static. And then I have the rank order of priorities based on the context of the situation I find myself in, in this moment. Right. So like sailors first always, but if my sailors are, are doing great and they're happy and healthy and, you know, everything's humming, they don't need all my bandwidth right now. So I can allocate the majority of my bandwidth to a lower priority on the static priorities list because on the dynamic priorities list, it's much higher because that's just where the problem happens to be in this moment situationally because of 
you know, who the fuck knows all the things that can play into the chaos that is a day in the life of a, of a United States sailor or service member. So um, keep that in mind as well. And then <laughs> this all sounds really shitty. <laughs> this all sounds like murky and just like you're you're just slogging through this swamp of of leadership ambiguity and shit. And it's like that's kind of true, but also time and experience are going to make the path easier, clearer. Um, I, I mean, eat less shitty is probably a better way. Like less difficult is probably a better. Way. It's never not difficult, but you get to a point where you feel like you've mastered some things. Like when I was a master chief, I mean, it be things that that were like took all my attention and effort and stressed me out and and caused me anxiety and and just like had a large cognitive load because it was new and I thought it was complex and challenging and hard. Once you get to do that thing a hundred fucking times, it's way less difficult, way smaller of a cognitive load, way less stressful, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like I even got, I, I I've talked a lot about, about how seeing diving off. So watch like is a big reason why my anxiety is so bad. And it's like, that's still true and it always will be true but towards the end very end i started to actually get comfortable doing it like i got to a point where my skill level and experience were such that it i just was more confident i i was more experienced i knew what to expect there was less unknown to be afraid of there was less stress because when this thing lights up or this thing's buzzing at me or the indications say whatever i know what to do Right. But it's a very complex thing that is very um, like it's subjective in the in the sense that the ocean gets a vote is a thing we used to say all the time. So it's like there's these algorithms that we use in the computer and the trainer that like have all the load supportability numbers and all the how speed affects this and how salinity affects that and all this shit. And it simulates it really well. But when you're out in the ocean and you have the same indications and you take the same actions, sometimes the ocean's like, fuck you. That's not what I meant. And it just like, then that doesn't work. And you got to like figure out what the fuck's going on and how to address the problem that, uh, the ocean's being difficult about, you know, it's like, uh, so it's the time and experience makes everything clearer, but there's always going to be something. It's always going to be hard. It's always going to be hard. The, the, there will never be a day where you, you know, like kick back in your chair as a CMC and you're just like, ah, I got this shit licked, you know, cause it's just like, there's going to be junior sailors are finding new and exciting ways to make your life hurt as we're speaking. So just keep that in mind, too. Like time and experience will make the path clear. The stress in, and anxiety involved will go down with the repetition and mastery that will happen inevitably over time. But you can accelerate that by studying like getting educated on leadership and management and, you know, like multitasking and time management and scheduling and all the things like everything you can learn about, learn, just learn project management stuff, anything, anything you can get your hands on will help um, with your leadership development. Like if it's even adjacent to the things that you're doing on a daily basis and don't be afraid to think outside the box either. Like, there's a lot of things I used to do that um, I got from professional kitchens. Like I worked professionally in the culinary industry before I joined the military. And it was like, it wasn't a long time. I mean, I was from like 13 to 
to 18. So, I mean, it was like five years, six years. Um, now it was like till 19. So it would have been like seven years, but, uh, there was a lot of experiences I had where like the things we were doing in professional kitchens or that I learned in culinary school on my first shore duty that I applied to what I was doing on that submarine and it worked really well, right? Not all of it, but like I, I there's a lot of things I knew how to do or, or just like skills and processes that I implemented that like no one else in my rate knew how to do because they didn't have my background and context and understanding. So like, don't be afraid to like look outside the box. If you're in a, a particular community that like, like SEALs, crazy, like totally different than the regular Navy in a lot of ways, right? The small unit, the, the unit cohesion, the way that they interact with each other, blah, 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 like their mission set, their deployment schedules, like so much of it is wildly different from the rest of the Navy, right? I would say CBs probably qualify, CTs probably qualify, submariners are sort of like that, but a little more like the regular Navy because it's a ship, but like smaller and special and weird in a lot of ways. So like there's... There are things that you can look like, don't look at like, well, I'm in the Navy or I'm in the military. Look at it like, okay, I'm a I'm a special operator, but then break it down to like, what are the core competencies? What are like the the things that you're charged with doing? And then where can you learn those things from? Like, where could you get better at that from? Like I heard I heard somebody I watch a lot of UFC stuff and I was watching like some of the front matter or like the they do like a documentary YouTube thing uh, where they like follow the fighters around fight week and just like see what they're doing and how their training went and blah blah blah. I don't know. Like it's I think it's interesting. But um, this guy uh, was friends with a professional basketball player, and the basketball player was doing a little bit of like MMA training, and then uh, they just became friends and compared like how the core competencies of the NBA player and the UFC champion, like where, what do they have in common and why? And they were talking about it and it seems ridiculous. Like one dude's, you know, fighting for his life in, with like every modality possible. And the other guy's just playing basketball, but they're both professional athletes. There's a certain amount of training to be a professional athlete at the highest level that, I mean, there's a lot of parallels. Like there's a lot of things that they can talk about and compare notes on and that, and, and more than you would think that I think, you know, like they made each other, they make each other better by being friends as like they make each other better athletes by just being friends. And it's like their sports are so fucking so different, but they were saying like, it's surprising how much we have in common. And it's like, it's an interesting thought experiment. It's like, where could you learn things that uh, would make you better at the core competencies of your warfare community, mission, leadership within that blah, 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 that you wouldn't normally think of as like, a, oh, okay, I could learn a lot from this, right? I mean, she's a lot of you are probably feeling that way listening to a submarine cook talk about leadership, but like here we are. Um, so yeah, I think there's a there's a lot to there's a lot to be learned and understood, and there's a lot that you can do along the way. But the the time and experience, like they they chiefs during the chief season like to set like to repeat the line of like there's no substitute for experience, and it's one of the one of those like cheesy chief things that chiefs say that is I I passionately agree with. Um, I just think that there's just a certain amount of like we could do a ton to make this infinitely easier 
for everybody that goes through the process of becoming a chief of the Navy. And I hope we do that. And I will continue to loudly advocate for it from right here with this microphone. But we are where we are right now. And that's what I'm talking about. It's like, I'm not talking about how to fix it. I'm talking about how to navigate it and just understand that being a good chief is very much up to you. Like you have complete control over your actions, right? There, but just with the understanding of actions have consequences, you need to try to forecast what those consequences are and decide based on your priorities, what am I willing to accept? Am I willing to accept this hurting my chances for advancement? Am I willing to accept this um, delaying my qualification that I need to advance? Am I willing to allow this to lower someone's opinion of me? Am I willing to burn a bridge, right? Am I willing to take time away from caring for my sailors or take time away with my family to spend more time here doing the thing because Seaman Timmy's on the, you know, I don't really, I want to say like a nautical term. Like I know what the fuck I'm talking about, but like, I don't know, folksal back of the ship, right? I don't know. I'm a submariner. Leave me alone. So they're on the pier, like <laughs> in my world and they're sitting on the pier moping. And I sit down and I ask a question and it opens Pandora's box. And I sit there for three hours talking this kid down, or I talk to him for 10 minutes and I have to take him to the hospital to get inpatient care so he doesn't hurt himself or, or or whatever, right? Maybe he's out of money and I need to take him somewhere to take care of that Navy Marine Corps Relief Society. And then now that's three hours I gave away with my family. But if I go home and tell my wife that that's what I was doing or I text her and then I explain it to her when I get home, she's not, she's not gonna be mad at me. She's gonna think I'm being a good dude and that's where I need to be and it's okay. If I do that every night of the week, that's gonna be a problem. But like, you see, see where I'm going with this? You need to figure out where do you need to be? Where's the most important place for you to be? That was something that that same CEO that I almost punched in the face. Something he said to me about uh, standing duty chief on, on the boat was uh, he said, the thing that's going to keep you out of trouble is you constantly throughout your duty day asking, where is the most important place for me to be right now? Because when something goes wrong, I'm going to add the first question I'm going to ask you is where the fuck were you? And if you don't have a really good answer to that question, like the why weren't you where this thing went horribly wrong instead of being somewhere else, it's like you better be right. You better have had something more important you were doing than standing right there monitoring that evolution. Like that's what I want you to be thinking about is like where does my where does my influence and, and supervision need to be? Um and what like prioritize that and then whatever's number one on the list is where your feet need to be until they don't until something else usurps that spot you know and then you go there and you know i understand you need to sleep but if there's something crazy going on you need to fucking you need to be standing there um and so i think that that's kind of like the the way you look at this is like what's the most important thing then what's the next and what's the next and eventually you're going to run out of bandwidth and some of those other things are just going to have to take a seat until you can get to them. Um, so now I'll wax philosophical a little bit about being a good chief and then I'll go away. I promise. Um, for me, cause I, I, I want to kind of talk about the way I went about it, uh, and the good and bad, because I, I've talked about it a little bit or alluded to some of it, but, um, my experience, it was good and bad. 
um, I think I did a lot right. I think I did some things wrong that um, are going to cost me for a long time and that left scar tissue. Right. And I've talked about all that pretty candidly on the podcast, but, uh, but yeah, I think that having like a rabid commitment to your people and the mission and the command and trying to make everybody happy and trying to promote and trying to qualify all the things are going to lead you to where I found myself. And, and I even like, I was always aggressively pursuing the things that I thought I needed because I did want to be MCMC. And so like I needed to promote to do that. But at the, in the back of my head, I was willing to accept not promoting if I knew that I had to like sacrifice that one thing to keep my sailors number one and to not sacrifice anything or give any ground on other, any of the other areas that were of a higher priority than my own advancement, which was not ever at the top of the list. So, um, I kind of understood that that risk existed. So I just, I just decided I was okay with it. Um, but I also didn't stop kind of redlining in every category. And so that led to me having those issues. Right. So like, I don't know, like if in my head, a good chief is somebody that strives to meet the mission, vision, guiding principles, strives to do uh, the things that all, all of these people that are pulling in you in all these directions tell you as a priority with the understanding that you can't do everything and you can't make everyone happy all the time. So there's going to be some things that get prioritized down to a level that you just don't get to them and that that's okay. And I think if everybody could do that one, we'd have a wildly more efficient and productive Navy. We'd have way higher leadership competence. Um, And I think it would be, it would arrive at a place where if everybody was just doing a little bit more, then the people that are redlining all the time wouldn't have to redline all the time and everybody would be in a better place. Retention would be higher, blah, blah, blah. But how does that happen? You guessed it, kids, leadership development and education. So, um, I hope this helps. Um, I know it's pretty ambiguous or subjective or confusing or whatever, because it is like, I don't, it's, it's one of those things that I don't know how to simplify it in a way, but I thought explaining it in the way that I understand it might be helpful for those that to, to just one to recognize that you're like, no, you're not the only person that finds yourself in this position and is just like exasperated and overwhelmed and just ready to just be like, fuck it. This is stupid. Um, but also the way through it, I mean, it is this, the way you navigate through this, this mess is like creating those priorities, right? Drawing boundaries based on those priorities, the hard static list, right? But then understanding that you need to have a dynamic version of that list that is for today and may even change throughout the day, situationally based on the context based on what's going on and then actively use those tools um and just be be ready to tell people no be ready to tell people that's going to be late 
be willing to tell people, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need to take some time to update that because I put it down during deployment or whatever, right? Like there's, or just say no entirely. Like, hey, we need you to do this collateral duty. Just be like, no, I don't. I can't do that. Like, I don't have the bandwidth for that. And be willing to defend that position because you're going to need to. <laughs> like, but do it and be okay doing it. Because it's like, look, like, do you want somebody to be on the, the designation letter or the 1301 notice just so they can fail? Like, is that the only reason you're concerned about assigning this collateral duty? Or do you want this program actually done correctly? Because I don't have the bandwidth for that. But if you just need to put a name on there and then I can just like ignore this until I have time. All right. If that's your only option, it's not a good, it's not a good answer. But if that's your only option, just understand that I'm only going to be able to pay attention to this intermittently and I'll get to it when I can get to it. And so when it comes up later, I'll get to it when I get to it. Um, sometimes that's unfortunately the answer, but be be ready and willing to have those conversations. All right. This is way longer than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Uh, I hope it was at least sort of useful. Let me know. Uh, this was a little bit of an odd structure for me and I'm, you know, hopefully we'll see what the reaction is. If <laughs> we'll see if I do, do it again this way in the future. Um, but yeah, so with that, uh, if you got feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or you just want to tell me this sucked, don't hesitate. Don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the shit podcast. Or you can DM us on Instagram, Reddit, or Discord at DGS Podcast. If you want to support us, you can go to DGSPodcast.com. There's a donate button on the upper right-hand corner of the website. Or uh, you can go to don't go ship apparel.com, get yourself some naval pride and heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, and then the last one is patreon.com slash DGS Podcast. Pick one of the five tiers and become a member today. It's, it's a great option and helps us pay all the bills and expand the platform and such. So we really appreciate any way that you can support us, including if you can't spend any money, just like, share, subscribe, review on all the platforms for all the things, you know, subscribe on YouTube, share the videos, share the podcast, you know, all the things. It all helps. And we really, really appreciate it. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the shit. Hey, shout out to all our level five patrons, Victoria Livingood, William McIver, and Mark Galagos, all our other patrons. We really appreciate your support. Helps to pay all the bills, expand the platform, and we couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much.